remember the first time that you saw a, a woman on the wall? <laughs> no. No? I met a few men, but definitely not any women alpinists at that time. Today, alpinism is a male-dominated sport. When today's guest started climbing, the numbers were even more skewed. I didn't really think about it. I just followed my heart. Hello there. Welcome to Mountain Meister. I'm your host, Ben Shank, and this is the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. Today with us, our guest defies stereotypes. She's a southern belle, but she's been guiding some of the highest mountains in Peru, Bolivia, Alaska, and Nepal for over 30 years. She's the co-owner of Chicks with Picks, a company that runs ice climbing, rock climbing, and skiing clinics for women. And her name is Kitty Calhoun, but her accomplishments are personified much more by a mountain lion than a kitten. Hello, Kitty, and welcome <laughs> to the show. I haven't heard that one before. Oh, now, what, what sort of comments do you get on your name? Uh, yeah, I mean, people think it sounds like a Western name, although I'm from the South. Where in the South are you from? I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville, South Carolina. And I also read that you started with a fear of heights, which one wouldn't really expect from a climber. Yeah, I went to the North Carolina Outward Bound School when I was 18, and and I wasn't um, looking forward to the rock climbing part because I was afraid of heights. But when I went climbing, I decided just not to look down, and and I only focused on the next move that I needed to make. And it was, it was fun. It was challenging, and I, I became addicted to it, I guess you'd say. Did did you overcome the fear of heights, or have you just been in denial this whole time? <laughs> I've I've overcome a fear of heights. Although um, sport climbers now are feel pretty comfortable taking whippers whenever, yeah. and um, I have a an alpine climbing background where the leader never falls, and so that's still instilled in me. Mm-hmm. So I just want to talk a little bit more about your your childhood. Were there a lot of other climbers in the South? No, there were a few rock climbers in the South, and and I uh, met up with them. And then I went to University of Vermont, and that's how I started ice climbing and met ice climbers up there. There were a few, not a lot, and definitely not any women. Definitely not any women. No. Hmm. And do you remember the first time that you saw a, a woman on the wall? <laughs> no. No? No. Huh. Uh, could it have been not until you went out west? Well, I went out west after I finished college, and there I met a few alpine climbers. It was hard to meet alpine climbers, even people who were willing to go out in the wintertime. That's when I was interested in climbing. Uh, I met a few men, but definitely not any women alpinists at that time. We, we need to figure this out together right now because this is amazing. <laughs> I, I've just like, how long had you been climbing? So you started at 18 or 19 years old, right? Yeah. And how long? And this is, we should say, the 80s, early 80s? Yeah, I think probably the first women 
uh, ice climbers and alpinists that I met were would have been in 1985 when I started guiding for the American Alpine Institute, and there were uh, one or two women guides who worked there. Out of how many? Oh, maybe 20. Okay. So you you had never recreationally come across a female climber until then you started guiding professionally? Not any ice or alpinists, uh-huh. ice climbers or alpinists. How, how did you even know that this was an option for you then? I didn't really think about it. I just followed my heart. I was uh-huh. a young single woman, so um, I enjoyed male company and um it was sort of like one thing led to another i never really planned on becoming of course a climber Mm -hmm. and uh never really planned on traveling all over the world for my profession and um this is not this my life has not not been my plan so did you feel like an outsider among all these men Sometimes I like on an expedition when there was just mostly just all men or mostly men, I would get bored a little bit because they tended to just talk about climbing guns and cars and and I lost interest after a while. But um, but mostly I, I really enjoyed being with my um, male climbing partners who initially were were my mentors. Mm, yeah. And did you notice any different treatment toward you because you were a woman? No, my climbing partners didn't treat me any differently. And I always tried to carry my share of the group gear. So I only carried, uh, I carried my share of the group gear. And then my gear, of course, I, I tried to minimalize so that I could keep up with my male partners and that strategy worked well within the industry. I feel like I was given opportunities because I was a woman and I really appreciated that. Hmm. So at times it could almost be an advantage because you're, you're sticking out. Absolutely. Yeah. How, how else did that work for you? I guess being an advantage because you were different from everybody else. Oh, I would just say mainly in, in terms of, of getting sponsors. Hmm. Why Why do you think there were no other women there? Well, I just think it's taken a while for women to realize what they can do. It's just like any other profession, really, <clears throat> hmm. like being a doctor or, or a lawyer. So now, now that you run all these clinics for women – um, what what kind of things do you hear from the women that you take on the wall? The, and then how, how do they transform, I guess, throughout um, proving to themselves that they can do it? Most of the women that we work with at Chicks are professional women uh, with families, and they're dealing with a lot of um, challenges. And I think Chicks is a great experience because they come to Chicks – most of them, well, with an open mind, although they may have some some fears, but they they feel like they can share in a group of all women, and so that's different than in a in an environment in a mixed group 
where if they're men, they feel less comfortable asking questions. And chicks, they feel more comfortable asking questions and they improve at a faster rate. They're able to achieve more than they thought they could. And that definitely transfers back to their everyday life. Hmm. And you've guided men before, right? I'd yeah. Imagine. Um, what, what kind of things do men not do very well compared to the women? Generally, men um, use their strength. That's their first um, resort. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that, But women are more hesitant to just um, depend on their strength. So they'll try to figure things out mentally. They'll try to use balance more uh, right off the bat. It sounds like the women have thought it out a little bit more than the men have. <laughs> so was there ever a time among all these men when um, you you felt like you needed to prove yourself to represent the women? No. I mean, I've felt challenged, sometimes guiding, um, especially overseas on big mountains. And, and uh, one of my male clients might look at me and, and – uh, you could tell he, he had doubts about this. I'm, I'm a petite woman. What I've done is just done my thing, and they figure it out after a while. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I quickly <laughs> figured it out just reading about you. <laughs> You're listening to Mountain Meister. That's our guest, Kitty Calhoun. You can find out more about her work at chickswithpicks.net. Don't forget that if you can't get enough Mountain Meister, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I just got back from Austin, Texas, which is why you're listening to this kind of music right now, and had some delicious donuts. If you'd like to see a picture of my peanut butter, banana, and bacon donut, you can do that on Instagram, at Mountain Meister, spelled out. On a more serious and intellectual note, we continue our conversation with Kitty Calhoun. I, I read a line, I think you wrote a, something for Alpinist, it said, started, I think, until I found God, climbing was my only religion. How, how was climbing a religion for you? Uh, well, I just remember when I was a teenager, my boyfriend dumped me and that kind of devastated me. And so I figured, well, the only thing that matters is being in the mountains and going skiing and I didn't want to think about relationships anymore. I didn't want to think about anything except for just being in the mountains and skiing. And and I stayed focused on climbing. It's nice to have a focus because then you can drown other things out. Hmm. I I just see all of this. Um, I mean, obviously, there's elation in climbing, but there's also devastation um, with what happens to people. Being very religious, how do you... How do you comprehend that um, when you see a climbing partner die? How do you how do you justify that? Well, I used to think that uh, whenever somebody was killed, then they had made a mistake. And so I read, I studied the American Alpine journals trying to figure out what they did wrong so that I wouldn't make the same mistake. Well, there was an accident once, and it wasn't explainable. It wasn't clear that they had made a mistake. It was actually on the same route that I had already done. And I, Who was They it? were killed. Uh, the south, south face of Chakarahu, I did the second ascent, 
And um, these guys came a few years later, and uh, um, Cornus fell on them. And uh, I couldn't really figure out. It didn't make sense. Um, I, I wasn't able to figure out a reason why they had been killed and I hadn't. And uh, I saw a movie. I can't remember the name of it now. But anyway, it was about uh, aliens invading the Earth. And and uh, Mel Gibson is sitting there with his brother. And the brother says, what do you make of this? And Mel says, well, there's two kinds of people, those that believe in fate. And it's just a matter of time a roll of the dice, and there's those people who believe that there's a plan, and those people live with hope. And and I and I fall into that latter category where I believe that there is a plan. We may not always understand it, and and it it may hurt. But you know, if we could understand it, that would mean that we're as smart as God. And I certainly don't believe that I am. A lot of climbers talk about looking at things objectively, um, but religion seems so like a very personal experience does I guess does religion um, intersect with your climbing on the mountain well you know this interesting question because I just came back from a seven-week climbing trip in India and I hadn't been on an expedition in years because I'd stayed at home I didn't want to be away from my son for that long a period of time but now he's gone to college so I thought it was okay to to leave and go on expeditions again and before I left for India I started wondering why I was going it seems sort of like a selfish thing um and then I decided that I needed to go to India personally it was um it was like a sabbatical. It was a time that I could reconnect with my roots, and it was a time to push the reset button. And um, and I felt like there were I would learn something. God would show me something on this trip. I didn't know what, but there was uh, I would learn something that I could um, carry with me afterwards that would be important. And that was the mindset that I took to this climbing expedition recently. What did you find? <laughs> uh, I found that uh, I learned the importance of being a team player and and how we have to make sacrifices sometimes for the team, but we never could have gotten in in that place without the combined efforts of the team. And that's been really important to me in terms of carrying forward my work with chicks climbing and skiing and in all the rest of my relationships as well. You started that by saying that you almost felt like this was, this had selfish intentions, but you came out of it with something pretty unselfish. It seems like, but being a team player like that, how do you, no, I, I guess I, I sometimes feel that, you know, like what I'm doing is almost selfish and then I feel guilty about it, blah, blah, blah. But then you look at it the other angle, like you got to live for yourself, like you got to take care of yourself. How do you uh, differentiate the two? How do you stop yourself from doing something selfish or choose to go on with something selfish? Well, a therapist once told me that you you can't prevent uh, your kids from experiencing challenges, 
So you need to go out and live your life so that you gain the wisdom so that you can provide guidance for your kids. So I think that it's important for us to 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 do what we're called to do and uh, exercise our gifts, and, and then we can share those with others. The more experience that you gain for yourself, you can pass that on to other people. Yeah. That's good. It's a good way to justify it, too. I know, but I really <laughs> feel like it's, uh, it's for real. No, yeah, that's, a, that's good. Um, does, does your son climb? He does occasionally. His favorite sports are uh, football and rugby. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want him to climb more? <laughs> uh, I guess I, I want him to do whatever whatever makes him happy, really. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So I saw that you did some work with the Navy SEALs. SEAL Team 6? Yeah. Can you tell us what you did for them? My husband worked with them and owned some rock climbing trips, ice climbing trips, and, and uh it it was a lot of fun, you know. I was really impressed with their professionalism. They didn't treat me any differently. They uh they were a good example of how it looks like to act as a team player. And when my husband and I worked with them, um we weren't allowed to talk about them because they would uh they would deny their existence. Nobody knew it wasn't public that that team existed. Wow. Okay. They liked to, They definitely uh, had a lot of energy. It was good energy. They liked to have fun. Um, I remember one time uh, there was uh, a ski mountaineering trip here in the backcountry around Uray, and we, we skied up and dug snow caves, and we talked to them about altitude sickness. And, and uh, the next morning, one of them said, oh, we, we saw a mountain lion last night. And I'm like, oh, you were just, that was just, you were hallucinating. Um, the altitude must have affected you. And, and uh, I totally blew him off. And then later I found out that he was telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> could, uh, could you find that you could relate with these guys a little bit more because of the teamwork and hardship that you experience on the mountain might be paralleled to what they find in their service? Yeah, absolutely. I can relate to having intense experiences with others that that back home, nobody would ever be able to understand. And also, there's a real tight sense of family. And and, uh, you find that to some degree in team sports. I think you find it really strongly in in, uh, the military, also on small expeditions where your lives are dependent on each other. It's an experience that uh, is deep that we're fortunate to be able to have. The final part of our interview with Kitty Calhoun coming up in a bit. First, let me tell you that you can financially support Mountain Meister on our website, mtnmeister.com slash support. Each month, we give away one mystery prize pack full of goodies from our supporters Once upon a time, about 10 years ago, I purchased a mystery prize pack on eBay. They sell them on eBay. I got a car air conditioning unit and some other things that were really useless. That won't happen here. MTNMeister.com slash support. Um, But since you run all these clinics, I'm sure you're around gear all the time. Is there a, a piece of gear that you're very excited about or 
maybe even something that none of us have heard of, but everybody should have? <laughs> uh, you know, gear and rock climbing, ice climbing, skiing, it's, it's all changing. It's changing really fast. And in uh, an alpine climbing, uh, um, it's becoming more practical and it's um, easier to use, lighter. It, it would be hard to say, to pick out any one particular piece of gear. I think that uh, it's so nice when you, when you can go fast and light and just move and not feel impeded um, or weighted down by things that don't work properly or that are heavy. Let's assume, this isn't a direct relationship, but let's assume that the lighter stuff doesn't have as many features. Yeah. How do you decide what to take with you? How do you draw the line between light and uh, and featureful? How's that for a word? <laughs> That's a great word. Uh, I definitely um, err, always err on the side of going too light. Myself, personally, really? I'm an yo yeah i'm a minimalist Uh and so i try to take something that's gonna be able to have various uses perform in various conditions and and uh really take only the very the very minimum that i need the thing is is that when you have too much stuff it's it's distracting and uh it's heavy it slows you down it it's it's life is a lot easier when you don't have that many decisions to make. <laughs> that that runs so counter to how our minds operate, right? We always want to have that just in case, right? We always overpack for vacations. How have you trained your mind to think that way? When I got out of college, all I wanted to do was learn more about alpine climbing in the wintertime. So I decided I was going to live out of the back of my Subaru, and I would only take two of everything that I needed. So I only had two pairs of socks, two pairs of pants, two shirts, two sweaters, two pairs of gloves. It's like uh, Noah's Ark. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. And uh, because that way I could function I could I could be able to find things. Things were put in a certain place, and that was it. They didn't take to, take up too much room. Decisions were made easily. I didn't have to decide between this pair of pants or that because one pair was dirty and one pair wasn't. And uh, the thing is, is that uh, then then you can focus on the things that really matter. I mean, it's all about it's all about being able to set priorities in life and to focus on the things that really matter so that you can live a quality life. You you almost eliminated the paradox of choice, right? Having too many choices and being stymied by that. Yeah, I think it's it's important to be able to zero in on what's important to us all the time so that we can put our time and our energy there. Mm-hmm. But the key is to figure out what is actually important to you. Uh, yeah, but I eliminate choice, but I've also found from climbing expeditions that we can do, there's a freedom from understanding what you can do without and a greater appreciation for what you have. And these things, these two, those two things are, are super important to me. Our final question, who would you like to hear next on this show? You're today's Mountain Meister. Who's the next one? 
I think I'm going to pick Angela Haas, H-A-W-S-E. She's um, one of the examiners for the American Mountain Guides Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is a fully certified guide in, in skiing, ice climbing, and rock climbing. Right now, she's out guiding for heli ski tracks, I think. She's a heli ski guide. And she's definitely um, one of the few women who who has reached that level of expertise in in uh, her personal skills and in guiding. There are probably a lot of people listening that are so jealous of you and the lifestyle that you lead. What's the what are the downsides that people don't see? What what's the not so glamorous stuff? There's not a lot of job security. I mean, mm. if you're <laughs> if you get hurt, then you're then then you can't work and uh and when you get older if you have chronic injuries that keep you from working then then you're out of work so it's um it's risky yeah it's difficult to um to guide and maintain a balanced traditional kind of family lifestyle do you wish that you had that sometimes do you get jealous of the person that has the nine to five job yeah, the grass is always green. Right, on the exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to hear all the all the shitty parts of your life, Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> Kitty Calhoun is a co-owner of Chicks Climbing and Skiing. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kitty. Thank you. More about Kitty at chickswithpicks.net. Thanks, Kitty, for joining. To our Colorado lady listeners out there. You can see their programs, learn more about their instructors, and sign up for a clinic should you be interested at that website. While you're using the internet, check out our 2016 goals episode and write your goals down. Research proves that if you write your goals down and speak them aloud, it increases your chances of making them happen. It's a pretty good deal if you ask me. As usual, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. Thanks for listening to Mountain Meister. 